0: Welcome to episode 60 of the Williams Project podcast. Today's topic, we're going to be breaking away from business and go back to property. We're going to be talking about the bullshit that is responsible for the excessive cost of housing in this country. So guys, welcome back to another episode, it's so great to have you all join us. Every day, or not every day, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but several times a month people always ask me, how do we fix the price of housing? What's it like dealing with council and things like that? Will the national government or labour government change what you're doing based on who gets into government? So I thought we'd just share with you some of the absolute bullshit we deal with every single day. One, to educate you guys. Two, hopefully some of you guys work for council and you can go tap your superiors on the shoulder and slap them with a the phone book <laughs> if they're good. responsible. <laughs> and three, it's just quite often when I tell people like what things cost and the stuff we have to deal with, they, 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 they genuinely don't believe me.
1: Yeah, so let's just set a, fo- a, a framework around property before we go into details, right? So New Zealand has a population of 5 million people. Um we have immigration of anywhere, depending on what report you need you read. Our population increases from seventy to a hundred thousand people per year, and our average occupants per dwelling are around um, two point I think it's two point seven or two point six something like that. So every year just to match the population that comes into the country, we we need to build approximately 30 to 35,000 houses. Now, there's one other metric to discuss here, which is the housing stock is a commodity, and you have houses every year that become unlivable, there might be small provincial cities that don't have jobs anymore, Um, so there is a percentage of housing dropping off. Now, there's 1.8 million houses in New Zealand, and let's assume that half a percent of those drop off every year. So that's another, say, 10,000 houses that needs to be added. So we need to be building, as the New Zealand construction industry, say thirty-five to 45,000 houses. And at the moment, we get building consents for 29,000, but I'm adamant only 26,000 of those get delivered um, because we don't track code of compliances, which is completion. We track building consents issued, and the problem is lots of projects don't go ahead. So that's sort of the framework. Now, the repercussions of those numbers, the fact that we're building 26,000 and we need 45,000, is we have significant average house price rising every year. So I think in the last twelve months the New Zealand average house price has increased by about ten percent. Um, and on average it's doubled every ten years since forever, since they arrived in the bloody endeavor. <laughs> <laughs> but so that's a rough summary from someone that's not an economist. Um, but it's about right.
0: About right with give or take forty percent or give, something. Give or take. <laughs> no, but that's the framework. That's yeah, it. No, yeah. you're right.
1: So, so, guys, now we are going to go on rants about all the bullshit we have to deal
0: with building houses. Blair, do you want to start, or do you want me to start? I suppose you should. You could start with resource consents, urban design. Okay, so the first
1: the first consent we deal with is something called um, urban design, well, right? Resource consent. Yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah, re- resource consent. So, resource consent is can you build the project? The next consent is building consent, which is how you build the project. And then the next consent is subdivision consent, which is how do you split up the land under the project. right? So starting with resource consent, when we buy a block of land, we have to commission reports. So a report would be contamination report Um, to see if there's any contamination on the existing site. The report would be surveying to confirm that the actual site we're buying matches what it is on the council and the government records. Um, We then get the planning rules. So what's been designed, what the council have said they want to be built in that area. We then get service capacity reports confirming that there's capacity for water, capacity for sewer, capacity for power, capacity, 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 for all the things that make a house function. Um, And then we we would then design the development, and then we have what's called urban design, which is how's that gonna function for the people living there. Um, and then we have planning, does what we've got there match the planning rules. And all of this needs to be consolidated into about a normally a 100-page document, which is called the resource consent. Now, this is where it gets fucking dumb. So I'll give you an example of communication we've had with a council that I will not name. Um, we send them a plan as per the planning that they've said they want in that area. Um with all the reports, everything saying, here is a functioning development that'll work. And then they say, well, do you know what? We don't really want um, it to match our plan. We want it to be more architectural. We think that more
0: architectural is better than matching the plan we've given you for the area. So essentially saying break the rules we've given you to get better design outcomes. And we're like, sure, right? That sounds fantastic. We would love to try make this development look better, right? So we
1: then redesign the development. Now you've got to remember, everyone involved in this process, engineers, architects, all these people, they're all $200 an hour, right? So every hour you're working on a job, it's costing you $1,000. And so then we redesign the development, and we might have steeper gables and different pitches and all these things, and we send it back to them. And they have 20 days to review it. So then they we, we work back and forth with them over the period of three months, and they go, yep, this is really awesome, we love it, great work. They then send it to be peer-reviewed. So to have a resource consent signed off, it has to be peer-reviewed by someone else. And the other guy that got peer-reviewed by goes, what the fuck? This doesn't meet any of our planning rules. And we're like, well, that's what he want, that you wanted. And he said, I'm not signing this off if it doesn't meet planning rules. So then we go back exactly the same as the first consent. And now that's looking like it's going to be signed off, but this whole process, even though we follow them up every single day, has taken seven months.
0: And another thing Matt touched on before with resource consents is the commissioning of service capacity reports. There are areas all around New Zealand where you can buy a house, go to knock it down and build, say, three or four more homes, and counselling go, hey, look, I'm really sorry, but uh, the sewer pipes actually don't have capacity, so we'll let you build here but you need to have a sewage tank on each house and then you have to pay a truck to come pick up the shit once a week when the tank's full. And we're talking about like inner CBD suburbs. We're not in a paddock. Like we are within 10 kilometres surrounded by existing homes. Yep. Go,
1: oh, sorry, the sewer network's full. I'll, I'll tell you another good one we had, which was where they're like, hey... Um, In front of your development, we have a fire hydrant, which we own, which we take rates from you to make sure that in the event of a fire, we can put it out. We actually don't know if the fire hydrant works, so we want you at your cost to go and test our fire hydrant and commission a report proving to us that our fire hydrant works to put out a fire on the development that you pay rates to make sure we have functioning assets to manage. Boom. Boom.
0: And (laughs) let me think of some other dumb stuff. Well, another good one as far as services is electricity. Obviously, guys, every new house needs electricity. Christchurch is really good at this. So we have Orion in Christchurch, and they say, hey, every house you build, we'll just charge you $650. And if we need to upgrade a transformer, we'll just take the wins with the losses. And we'll just give you a fixed price, $650 per house. Super easy, super transparent, and it's a great way towards helping affordable homes because as a developer, you know exactly what your costs are going into a project. In another city in New Zealand, rhyming with Auckland, there is a company called Vector, which is part owned by the council. And what they do is they say, hey, look, we're going to take about nine weeks and you're going to have to pay us about $5,000 and then we'll do a design to see one, what infrastructure you need, compare it to what we've got, and then we'll let you know what it will cost to upgrade. So you go know through a painful process and quite commonly we might be knocking down say one house and building say six to ten in its place. We had one recently where the quote came back saying, hey we need to upgrade the transformer, uh, it is going to be $120,000. And this is for six additional power supplies, so it's like $20,000 per house just for power. And I go well that's fine you're going to upgrade the transformer which is going to have heaps of extra capacity in it once we're done will you be willing to contribute to the cost of that transformer since you own it you charge me to use it and you get the benefit of the additional capacity they go, oh well no sorry you have to pay for it so then fortunately we were doing a development across the road from this other one where it only cost us a thousand dollars a house so in Auckland power ranges from thousand dollars a house up to twenty thousand dollars a house Depending on just what vectors say and you have to wait three months to find out.
1: Yes, yeah, great, eh? So before we move on from resource consents to building consents, do you have any Well, I may as well go on to water service. Is that still in the resource yeah, it's no, yeah, service. Yeah, good. Carry on.
0: So once again, actually, for any Christchurch councillors listening, you guys are actually reasonably tidy in this podcast so far. So with water in Christchurch, it's actually about the same. It's like six hundred dollars per water, Toby. We put it in jobs done and we do have to sometimes upgrade the network in christchurch but it's not we're talking minor upgrades in auckland it's fourteen thousand dollars per water toby so plus we, other fees yeah that, that's just plus design fees plus yeah. relocation fees plus and, we have to pay
1: for the water toby to be connected to the house and for the water toby pit and everything yeah. to be installed. so where
0: this was bad in auckland we just finished a block of nine just paid about 150000 to get these nine water tobies put in. And of course Auckland's going through this water shortage at the moment. So we wanted to wash the windows and wash the cladding of the new homes. And we had to pay for a water truck to come to site full of water for us to plug a hose on to wash the building because under the water shortage you're not allowed to use any outdoor taps. But we were legally allowed to, if we wanted to, go turn on all the showers and flush all the toilets but we weren't allowed to wash the building.
1: And we'd just written a cheque for 150 grand. So you imagine how aggrieved or be-grieved. Aggrieved. Aggrieved we were. I was pretty sad. Very, very sad. Right, I think we have to now go on to stormwater. Yeah. I don't know anything about okay. it. You have to hit it.
0: So stormwater. <laughs> I just know it sucks. Stormwater, guys, when it rains, rain comes, hits your roof, goes down your downpipes, goes into the stormwater. That is what stormwater is. In and I'm pretty sure your showers and everything. No, nah, that's grey water. Yeah. Do never your showers shower. go down your sewer? Yep. Huh. And your kitchen. Wow. Yeah, I know. That's interesting. Because soaps and stuff. Yeah. Bandit kills the fish. Kills the fish. No good. So anyway, what's quite common in New Zealand, guys, is we have to, when we design a project, say we knock down a house and build 10, council and go, hey, our stormwater network's at capacity, which it just about always is. And they say, because of this, we need to make sure in a heavy flood event that the same amount of water goes into the network as before your development. And of course when you develop a site, you've got a lot more concrete, a lot more roof space, so it's very hard to show council that there's gonna be less water going into the stormwater network. Slash impossible. Slash impossible. So then what we have to do is we have to get these great big tanks and put them in people's backyards. And the concept is you've got a big, imagine just a tank with a big pipe going into the top of the tank, And a little pipe coming out the bottom of the tank and the concept is it can rain for say i don't actually know how long say six hours of really heavy rain and the tank can fill up quite quickly with all the rainfall and then it slowly drips it out back into the road to make sure that it doesn't overload the stormwater network and don't get me wrong the principle is great we don't want roads flooding sumps blocking up but how much better would it be if this country had better infrastructure better water better power sewer at capacity, stormwater at capacity, and they said, here is your fixed fee per house to connect to these services. Yeah. yeah oh, like, my God. Oh, Just <laughs> solved the problem. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's
1: quite funny because New Zealand, we think of ourselves as such a sophisticated country, but we actually have very, very primitive infrastructure. Um, Extremely primitive. Yeah, like you dig up pipes in the road and they're made of terracotta.
0: Well, in Auckland, they quite often say, hey, can you camera... You want to connect to our services, no problem. That's a, a right that you have. We don't actually know what condition they're in, so can you camera them, and if they're broken, why do not they actually sign off the approval if you fix our assets? Yeah, I actually read
1: something, and it was in Mexico, and it wouldn't surprise me if we had something just as bad. 50% of their water is lost to leaks in the pipes.
0: Yeah, no, I, d- I read a thing in Auckland saying that there's however many million litres has been lost through leaks at the moment in Auckland, and that was more than how much water the council was saying, we need to, as a city, save this much water by having shorter showers, not mowing the lawns, not cleaning the car. And then someone else did a report saying, this is how much water you're losing from leaks, and it was more than that. Outrageous, so eh? Imagine going to hospital for an operation and they're like, hey, look, you've paid your $5,000 for your operation, no problem doing it. Um, our x-ray's broken and our operating theatre's fucked you need to pay to fix it and then we'll do the operation on you
1: yeah and that's how they treat builders and everyone goes oh you're ripping us off you're destroying everything and it's like do you have any idea how ripped off we get like every second of every day
0: (laughs) and the problem is what well I think a lot of people do realise hence the house prices all these dumb obscene costs we deal with they have to get passed on to the customer like we're not a charity we don't do this for free or to lose money so if there's a cost incurred like an Auckland project costs $10,000 a house for power that has to get passed on to the customer I'd love to deliver homes cheaper like cheaper sale price but all of these like what people don't get when we sell a house only about 40% of that price is actually the cost associated with building the house yeah the rest is bullshit the rest is all the bullshit around it
1: so let's talk about development
0: contributions You love this one, Matt, so you can do it.
1: Okay, so we do what's called brownfield development, right? So brownfield development is when you're building houses in an existing area. Now, what council have is council have what's called a development contribution. So imagine you're building a house and council says, that's fine that you're building a house, but as part of you having that house, we have infrastructure we need to put in place. So we've got roads, parks, schools... Um, or other things that they do. So you have to pay us a fee to reflect the the capital expenditure we're going to occur. And you're like, okay, yeah, that, that's fine, whatever. Except these things have just gone completely out of control, and councils, I'm adamant, I can't prove this, but I'm adamantly using them now as just an income grab, a way to get money, right? So we might take a house, let's say we take a four-bedroom old house, Right? and we demolish it, and we build five new two-bedroom townhouses, and the building size is actually relatively similar, right? And there's yes, there's going to be a couple more people living there. We would pay, on average, about $80,000 to council just in development contribution fees to build those new houses.
0: And what's interesting with development contributions, in the law, it says council can only take what they see as the long-term cost associated. So like Matt said, for example, a whole lot more people now live in this section. That means there's going to be more shit going down the sewer line, and in 10 years' time we're going to have to rip up the sewer on the road and make it a bigger one. So that's what that long-term cost is. What's interesting, some of you guys would have seen in the media recently about the um, development contribution rebate in the 4AVs that we've been getting for the last few years, and people going, oh, it's developers lying in their pocket, blah, 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 we should pay our fair share. When you understand what development contributions are meant to be used for, which is like what I said, that, that actual long-term cost of infrastructure upgrade, before the earthquakes there are about 11,000 people living in the four avs, it changes based on what report you read, at the moment there's about 8,500 people. So that's what's at about, so it's about 700 homes less inside the four avs than before the earthquake. So, how can they charge you anything? So, how, is it, how can they charge you anything? Yeah. And what if I was in charge of this when I'm supreme leader? <laughs> <laughs> what I'd do is I'd say, right, the further you go away from existing infrastructure, the more it costs. If you want yep. to go to a paddock out in Horswell and you actually have to build a full new road, which the council then becomes responsible for, full new sewer that the council becomes responsible for, we're going to charge you fucking heaps because we literally have long term liability over kilometers and kilometers of roading, footpaths, services, council berms, all the stuff. If you develop in existing areas where we already own it, it's already functioning, and you've got a higher density. So for example, imagine in Australia, right? You've got these big towers with three thousand people living in them, but there's one power cable, one water cable, one sewer connection, one stormwater connection. In theory. In theory. <laughs> How much cheaper is it to maintain those four things for 3,000 people versus a Greenfield subdivision where there's one house per 500 square metres. Completely agree. So we need to encourage one and make user pays on the other because it's not fair for everyone to be paying the same rate when there's completely different operating costs.
1: Well, I've actually got a theory on this, right? At the moment, the world's population is about 7.7 billion. Before the end of the century, it's going to exceed 11 billion. Now, I'm sure everyone listening to this We sort of like the environment, we like having nice oceans, we like having parks, we like having trees, we like having beautiful rivers. Now this is what I would do if I was in charge, I would say right guys, this is your circle and I'll draw a circle around the towns, around the cities, around everything and I would say you have the right to do pretty much, not whatever you want in that circle but that circle's there for you to live in, this is where you live and everywhere outside the circle you can't build there. Right, and I would encourage us to build cities that go up, cities with more people living in them, and then we can have massive, big, beautiful forests, big, beautiful parks, big, beautiful everything, because we can't keep spreading out forever. Well, that's right? what
0: Jakarta did. Yeah, like when we were in Jakarta, they have quite a tight, intense landmass, and they want those nice, like Matt said, the greenery, the parks, the golf courses. So now, if you picture like a New Zealand subdivision where there's just Hundreds, if not thousands, of homes, all in their own section, in Jakarta. Imagine a subdivision where it's just tower after tower after tower. But then they put the university, the hospital, and mall, the golf course, a park, all in that same space. Yeah.
1: So you have everyone has a beautiful park they essentially live in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and That's very cool. Yeah, it's real cool. So, right, we we now
1: have to move on to building consent. Do you want to explain it?
0: Well not that much wrong with the Look, building consent process The
1: building process. consent process is actually probably one of the better ones And I'll explain to you why We have a national standard Everyone works to the same standard, it's a national standard, if you have any questions you can compare it to other consents and it's actually relatively simple.
0: What's binary? It's binary. Do you meet this code for insulation or do you not? Yeah. As opposed to, hey Matthew, I'm not sure about this tree species, I think you should have this tree species, but there's actually no rule to say either or one of us are right or wrong, I'm just making this up with my qualification.
1: Yeah i think instead of using pinus maximus you should use pinus erectus and it's like you look at the trees and they both look the same (laughs) and this person's charging you two hundred dollars an hour
0: this happens guys this
1: happens it drives you up and you've literally built 10 developments on the same street with pinus erectus and now they charge you change you to pinus maximus and they're charging you by the hour to do it drives you up the wall um Building consent, yeah, there's essentially three parts to a building consent. You have your um, architectural plans, you then have your structural Um, which is how's the structure going to perform in an earthquake? Do all the loads work? Does the bracing work? And then you have your civil plans. How do we take the um, services from this development and connect them to where it's needed? Um, And those three parts are all a separate set of plans, and then you have separate specifications. So then you carry specifications for your insulation, specifications for your plasterboard, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Building consent's actually fine, uh, except the timeframes just drive you up the wall. Um, and the, it's pretty, but like Blair says, it's very binary, so it's actually quite easy to to get the job done. Yeah. So now let's talk about um, subdivision consent. That's pretty good. Yeah. Although it's like it's pretty good until it's not. Do you, do you want to explain that um, title redefinition survey issue we it's just had? It's just too complex. It's too complex yeah. for
0: us to understand properly. <laughs> okay. But, yeah.
1: It's all good, and then there's massive problems, and it's not all good. Um, <laughs> but I suppose, in
0: summary, guys, like the worst thing is, like I said, ten thousand dollars a house for power in Auckland, fourteen thousand dollars a house for water. Then you've got another probably fifteen to twenty thousand dollars a house for development contributions. Then you've got a council so big you can't actually ring the person to get hold of them, saying, "Hey, what's the holdup with my consent?" Because they don't answer their phone don't have their number or they're on holiday and the council's so big you can't ever get moved up to the right person to fix your problem and like you think about the cost on each house when you have to pay for stormwater tanks and that much for power that much for water that much to council obviously that just has to get paid for by the customer or else no builders can afford to build anything
1: yeah so now i just want to talk to you guys about the taxes you pay without realizing it right so Let's say you want to buy a $500,000 house. Now to have $500,000 of cash, you actually have to earn $665,000 because you're paying income tax, right? So your first $165,000 you've already given to the government in the form of income tax. Then on every single transaction there's 15% of GST. So you've earned $665,000, You've got $500,000 of tax paid income. You're now buying a house. You're essentially giving $75,000 to the government. So what does that bring us down to, Blair? Go 500,000 subtract
0: 75,000.
1: 425. 425, right? Then we're paying Consenting fees for the resource consent, building consent, subdivision consent, which are probably about twenty thousand dollars per unit. Yeah, that'd be about right. Right? Yep. So that's another twenty thousand. So take that off.
0: Yep. So we're under four oh five.
1: We've got development contributions, which is twenty thousand dollars plus GST.
0: Yep, it's about twenty two grand.
1: Yep. We've then got um, Toby fees, service we've connection got, fees. We've got
0: ten grand plus GST for power. Let's call that twelve. Yep. Then we've got um, Water, which is fourteen plus GST, so what's it about sixteen? It's now down to three hundred and fifty-five thousand.
1: Yeah. So essentially, when you're buying, and there's probably another fifty grand of stuff that we've forgotten about, but from your six hundred and sixty thousand or whatever I just said that you've earned to buy a house, you've given fifty percent of that to the government or the council in the form of either taxes or contributions or fees or anything. Like If you actually understood how much tax you pay, there would be a revolt. It's terrible. And then you get to pay rates every year as well. Yeah, and then once you've paid all of this tax and you've done all of this work, the council and the government remind you that you still don't own the property and you have to pay them every year. And what's
0: interesting, one of the main things that tax was even invented for was to pay for infrastructure. But then the infrastructure shits, they charge the developer... Then the developer charges you, the home buyer. So you're paying for infrastructure and your tax and your house purchase. I I think if you worked it out properly,
1: the average person pays about 60% of what they earn in tax. Yeah.
0: Don't get us started on fuel. Yeah. But tax is a whole other podcast topic. Yeah. Look, guys. Yeah. Hopefully, that's a bit of an insight into the bureaucracy. And the bullshit that is involved in building a
1: house. Yeah, and actually, I just want to go off on another tangent. When you see people on the news going, the one way we can make affordable housing is prefabrication, or the one way we can make affordable housing is amendment to the Resource Management Act, anyone that addresses housing like there is a silver bullet is lying to you or they're dumb. Now, I would probably assume (laughs) they're dumb. Was it your lazy
0: you yeah. stupid or you don't respect me. Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> right? So just remember, if someone's having this discussion, we have hundreds of problems through the entire process. The way we need to make housing more affordable is to go through every part of the process and make it 5% better every year. And then over the course of 10 years, we can make a real impact in creating more affordable housing. That is a discussion that would actually create a result, right? Anyone that's selling you a silver bullet is lying to you or they're stupid. So just think of that when you hear these politicians talk. That's not
0: just for housing. That's probably everything. Yeah, it's probably everything.
1: But for the sake of this podcast, it's housing, right? So just remember, because we're coming into an election now in New Zealand, and anyone that tells you in a precise, simple way one thing that's going to make the world um, housing better um, is lying to you. And do not listen to it. It has to be from hundreds and hundreds of little incremental changes to make the entire process easier, faster and more affordable. We appreciate you guys, you're amazing. Through us doing things like this we can really make a difference in the world um, starting with New Zealand. Let us know what you want to hear about on the next episode. Remember this podcast is for you and if you enjoyed this episode send it to one like-minded friend. We love you guys, thank you.